Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Five minutes past 12 o'clock. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm Nikki Seberini. As always, so pleased to be with you for the next hour. This, of course, is the DR Link Show. We connect you with insights and information and illumination for a full hour on 101.9 High FM. So I ended last week's show announcing that I would be taking part in the Jerusalem Marathon, running the 10 kilometers, and I've used the word running the 10 kilometers, and you know, I've never hidden the fact that I don't run. I mean, every time we have people coming onto the show, talking about the Jerusalem Marathon, getting ready for the Jerusalem Marathon, running in the Jerusalem Marathon. I have always stated that I am no runner and I cannot get my head around running. So what was I thinking when I signed up for the Jerusalem Marathon, you may be asking? Well, I'm still asking myself that question, especially when I wake up at the crack of dawn to run. And while I'm running, I, I just... I can notice these thoughts entering my mind and they go something like this. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is very painful. Stop. But as Michelle said, and as many of the runners and the deer who take part in the Jerusalem Marathon say, when you're doing it for something greater than yourself, so when you're doing it for people who are facing a far greater challenge, a challenge where, you know, they, they have an illness that they have to walk through all sites, types of terrain before they get to the other side. You know, it's not their choice. Their only choice is the kind of attitude they're going to have, how fit they're going to be, how healthy they're going to be, how they're going to live in this moment. And so every time I think of that and I think, why am I doing it? It brings me back to the greater, greater purpose. And I have to say that there is a measure of satisfaction and enjoyment that goes with that. So I'm a very, you know, middle of the road kind of person. I never push myself too far. I'm pretty healthy. I mean, I go to gym regularly, but I've always thought, you know, as soon as you're tired, you stop. And this is a, this is a paradigm shift for me because I want to stop. As I start running and it gets a little bit anal, I just, I want to stop, but I've got to keep going. So I actually wanted to start it off by, by just expressing my gratitude and appreciation because I'm starting to explore a part of myself that I have never explored before. And I would never have been able to do it if it wasn't for the DR link and if I wasn't doing it for these cancer warriors um, and, and in their name and with their spirit and their energy pushing me on. So I can't move. I mean, I'm stiff. And I'm tired. How, as I said, how I managed to make the show today, I don't know. And I'll try not to whinge and moan next week because I'm hoping by next week I'm going to be feeling a lot fitter. But I'm certainly going to be keeping you updated because, you know, my journey is something that I get to share with you every Thursday. And I, I hope you enjoy this journey with me, um, obviously ending with me, hopefully, please God, crossing the finishing line in Jerusalem. So... To those of you who, had made, who have made a donation in my name for the DR link, I thank you so much. Thank you for your generosity. I know that times are tough. Um, I know that it's a big ask, and I really, really appreciate it. Every cent that you give 
helps the DL Link continue to do what they do and it is creating a comfort, a family, a support, a nourishment, a nurturing to the cancer warriors and their families while they're on this difficult, difficult journey. So um, I am just going to put a little plug that if you do want to make a donation in my name, it's really very, very easy. You've just got to go to the DL Link website. You'll see the Jerusalem Marathon. You click on the Jerusalem Marathon. A whole lot of runners will come up. You can choose to donate to any other runner. That's absolutely fine if you want to donate um, and support me in that way so I can support the, the, the DL link. Just look for my name. I think I'm on page three. You click and then you click and you donate and you do this and you do that. And the funds go to the DL link. You know, that is why I'm doing this. And it's tough. It's I'm, I'm having to dig very, very deep, but there is great gratitude there. There's great growth. So I, I'm very, very appreciative that I'm in this position. Well, now that I've ranted and raved, we're going to have a break. And on the other side of the break, we're going to be looking at food. We're going to be looking at the type of food we should be eating, looking at our genes. Who are we? What are we? Um, and how are we? And how do we match our eating so we can have optimal health and optimal vitality? And um, I have in the studio a clinical dietitian who will be discussing all of those details. Details with us, so don't go anywhere. Stay exactly where you are. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Nikki Seberini here. And did I happen to mention that with all this running, I have got an enormous appetite, and I've got to be careful not to fill myself up on, you know, the sugars and the carbs. So I've been told to have the, the instant rush and the instant energy boost. I've got to be building myself up slowly. So I don't know much about it. We've had dietitians on the show before. I love learning from dietitians and learning about what's right and what's wrong. But I think that this next discussion is going to be particularly interesting because we have fads, you know, have carbs, have proteins, high fat. This, but this conversation is about what's best for you. Um, and it's all about nutrigenomics. And I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. So our clinical dietitian, Hilit Milner, will tell me yay or nay. Hilit, welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, Thanks for hello. having me on the show. Thanks for coming on to the show. <laughs> what did I, did I pronounce you did. that correctly? Nutrigenomics. Okay. So I just want to say that, um, you know, we've had so many, there are lots of fads out there. And Sometimes, I mean, with pr- Professor Tim Noakes, I remember speaking to him with the, the, the what's it called? The, banting. the banting. And he always said, he said that you've got to be, in order for the banting to work, it's, um, it's all to do with your insulin levels. And if you have a problem with that, then the banting would work. If you have no problem with your insulin, you wouldn't have to go to that extreme. So even though you have these fads, what it really boils down to is, what is your body like? What is your body type like? What is, is that what this nutri genomics, is that what it's about? Yeah. So I suppose, um, every, every person is different. Right. So just, just like every person is different, every person's eating habits, lifestyle, medical history is different as well. And so too are their genes. So all of our genes are actually, if we look at our DNA, 99.9% of our DNA is the same. It's the 0.1% that actually makes us different. Mm. But that 0.1% can obviously have a huge impact in terms of how we break down certain nutrients, our risk for certain chronic diseases, um, and the way we look. So 
when we look at the genes or when we look at our genes, we start to understand, and it, it is a more relatively newer field. It's been really well studied for quite a long period of time, but it's only coming to the fore now. Um, we're looking at more preventative medicine or preventative nutrition in a very, very personalized way. Because if I can take a look at your genes and I can say, well, according to your genetic makeup, you have a certain risk for diabetes or glucose or insulin control, or even down to whether you break saturated fats down well or not, then if you wouldn't break down saturated fats well, then a banting diet wouldn't be appropriate to sure. you because you're actually causing more damage. Furthermore, you, when you're looking at a genetic makeup, you're really working from a cellular level all the way out. So we're looking at a person in a holistic way, but in a much deeper sense. So we can start to understand upstream what's going on in their body. And when I speak about upstream, we look at the cause. So are there genes that are creating inflammation? Is there poor detoxification in the body? What's going on with oxidative stress? Obviously, all of these pathways are going to have a significant impact on your risk for certain chronic diseases, your mental well-being, as well as your weight. And often we on yo-yo diets where we're simply restricting calories and one doesn't really understand. Number one, it's very hard to stick to because mm. it's so extreme. And number two, it's not something that's sustainable and really going to give you a long-term result because your problem might not be in weight regulation and energy balance. Your problem might be genetically in poor detoxification, which can certainly impact your well-being as well as your weight. That is absolutely fascinating. So you're saying before you do anything, just find out, do the tests, see how your body works, and then you eat the right way. You know, this is a message we hear more and more on this show. Just a few weeks ago, we had a doctor. She talks about um, functional medicine, and she said before you do anything, You've got to calm the sympathetic nervous system down. You've got to access the parasympathetic nervous system. We don't realize how stressed we are. And she uses breathing. And so that when you bring that down, then it's more con, your body is more conducive to healing and moving forward. So it's amazing. Again, the individual, we had a doctor also on a few months ago and she spoke about slowing down aging. And again, the genes came into it. What is your system doing? What do, how do we specifically work on ourselves so the question is for those people who are listening right now because it sounds quite complex right it's so so much easier just to see a diet and go I'm going on that diet how do we access that how how do we find out what our body is doing so that we can eat optimally so I think if you're going the genetic route and often I mean the recommendation would be that if this is something that someone's interested in to do a DNA test and there's two companies based in South Africa at the moment who do do it and practitioners, clinical practitioners who are trained with those companies. It's a simple mouth swap and then they get their results. The genes that they are testing are it's all... It's as simple as that. Simple no as bloods. that. No bloods. No bloods. mouth swab. Mouth swab. Okay. And the genes that we're testing are all what we call low penetrance genes. So it doesn't mean, let's say you've got a, a change in one gene coding. It's not a diagnosis for a disease. So it's not, for example, when we look at breast cancer, when you're testing for BRCA, then the chances of getting breast cancer are quite high and something really needs to be done about right. it. These genes are all low penetrance genes. So what it means is you need to have variations in a lot of genes working in one particular pathway as well as be in an environment that's not supporting those genetic changes. So 
eating poorly, we look at exercise, we look at the lifestyle and the stress that one needs as well because we'll always make lifestyle recommendation, exercise recommendations, eating recommendations. It's not it's not all about the food. It's really taking a more holistic approach and understanding the person and where they're coming from. Also in terms of like moods, so people who suffer from anxiety or depression, you can see certain pathways and cycles where the genes are maybe not working properly. It doesn't mean to say that if you've got a change in your gene when you get your result, that your gene is null and void and something's going to happen to you and it's not working properly. But obviously, if we see with blood tests and we get the support to say, okay, maybe you've got a change in your vitamin D receptor, for example, we then do bloods and say, well, your vitamin D levels are actually fine. So we don't really need to do anything, but maybe you should focus on these foods and just be aware of it in the future. If there is a deficiency, then we would need to supplement. The powerful thing with this test is that there's something you can do about it. It's not a diagnosis for a disease. It's not all doom and gloom. In fact, it's it's giving you a little bit of a red light in the back of your head to say, okay, I know I've got this. This is what I need to do in order to make sure I prevent certain disease, that I am staying on top of my game when it comes to health and well-being, physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. So we know certain foods that we eat contain particular nutrients, vitamins and minerals and what we call bioactive ingredients that are found in the food that can actually switch on certain genes and switch off certain genes. So is that what a bioactive ingredient, ingredient is? Okay. It's a compound that has that really strong food gene conversation. So if I can give you an example, yeah, please do. <laughs> I'll give you two. So um, omega-3 fatty acids, which, uh-huh. which we get from our oily fish, we all know that it's good for us, but why is it so good for us? Yes, it's good for brain health and, you know, development of, um, protection of like the nerves with the myelin sheath, but omega-3 fatty acids are is a potent anti-inflammatory agent. So it goes to the master pro-inflammatory conductor in the body called tumor necrosis factor alpha, and it tells that to communicate with all the genes in the body and tell them to down-regulate, to to calm down, to stop making so many inflammatory proteins. So that's important with inflammation. With detoxification, there's other examples with your green leafy vegetables or your raw cruciferous vegetables where the bioactive ingredient is known as sulforaphane, and it actually goes and switches on the enzymes or the genes producing the enzymes needed for detoxification. Fascinating. Aren't our bodies amazing? Amazing. And food is amazing. And, And everyone who says, you know, food is medicine, food is medicine in the most natural form. When you know when also you how it, to prepare yeah, it when as you're well. eating it properly, when you're preparing it properly, when sure. you're using the right ingredients. 100%. Amazing. You know, we use it as comfort for distraction, yeah. for all of those things. Wrong way to use food. It would be great if we yeah. could really start switching on to using food correctly. This is fascinating. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue. And by the way, if you have any questions, please feel free to call us. The number in the studio is 010-140-3020 or SMS us on 34519. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. 
Welcome back. We're having such a fascinating uh, discussion with clinical dietitian Hilit Milner, um, talking about nutrigenomics um, and how when you get to know your genes by just doing a very simple DNA test, how you can really optimize, you know, your health and, and really eat the right food and know how your body works. And this leads to feeling vital and uh, energetic and healthy and it's quite an interesting choice to make. It's a very conscious choice to make. And aren't we lucky, Hillet, that we live in a time when we have access to this? There's so many questions I have to ask you. But the first, just off, off the bat, I'm sure a lot of people are going, DNA test, lots of money. I can't afford it. It's for someone else. Sure. So so it it, it is quite expensive. I mean, especially in this day and age when when times are tough. Um, your genes don't change. So, so that's the one thing I always say, you know, sometimes you do the test expecting to see certain results and it uncovers something else that was quite relevant and important to your life. Okay. If you think of the medical expenses that you possibly, I mean, God forbid, going to spend if you do get sick or things don't get right later on in life, you possibly could be saving yourself and a the supplement that you go now. You, yeah, what you spend every month on supplements. Sure, and the truth is, if you're supplementing and you don't actually need that supplement, or you've got a change in a in a gene that codes for an enzyme that breaks down that supplement, and you're not breaking it down well, mm. you're doing more damage to your mm. body. So I don't recommend supplements unless someone really needs the supplement, right. and I know that they need the supplement. Either way, if you don't have the money to do your test, I think. It's important, I mean, in my practice and from my point of view, to still understand what nutrigenomics is and, and what different foods can offer your body. So your culinary toolbox starts to expand. So you're not only eating the mundane foods that you're eating. Your food becomes not only colorful on your plate, but also colorful to your body. Mm. And, the, and the deeper level of nutrition and health that it's creating internally from a cellular level um, so one really needs to look at when you're going, you know, on a health journey, yes, something that's sustainable. And we always talk about, okay, well, you know, I want something that's sustainable, but often people don't want something that's sustainable if you ask them because they're looking for the quick fix and yeah. the yo-yo effect. So something that's sustainable, that's really changing cellular metabolism, that's allowing you to understand your relationship with food, that's hard work. Mm. That is not going to happen mm. in a month or two months. Yeah. And you might not see the quick results, but you know that at the end you're not going to be on this yo-yo dieting train that you've been on your whole life. Mm. So so even if you don't do the test, I always say it's important to look at your your medical history, your gut health, your exercise routine, your lifestyle, your sleeping habits, your emotional connection to food and how you grew up with food. And are you eating out of emotions? What is your connection to food? Do you have a good relationship with food, a bad relationship with food? And then furthermore, then say, based on all of this, what foods do I need to eat in order to activate certain genes, switch off certain genes, and allow me to feel the best person that I can feel? It's not just about the weight. The weight can be subsequent to that. Mm. That's really long-term health. Hmm. Is it? Does, does blood type come into this? Because you know you've got these blood yes. type diets. So, so it doesn't. And in fact, a lot of the research when you study nutrigenomics shows that how how you one can discount the blood type diet and how no, there's really? not, not as much strong evidence in terms of uh, blood 
blood type diets. And this is where all the fad diets come in. You know, no one really knows what to believe these days. And the question I also get asked is, well, is this DNA diet, whatever, you know, the, the term that everyone's calling it, is it just a fad? And, and it's really, it's not. It's really not. When you were explaining that, what came to mind was it's a life investment. Sure. So it's not like just going, I'm going, you know, this is the new craze. I'm going to try this diet. I'm going to buy the books. I'm going to go to the person. I'm going to get the food. This is a very conscious decision to invest in your your now and your future, sure. your health and everything yeah. that goes with it. And you have to – it is something that you start incorporating slowly but surely. Okay. So you're walking around – you know, the shopping aisle and most of my patients will say to me, oh, fennel, I've never used fennel, but I know that fennel's got a bioactive ingredient that switches on your antioxidant genes. So oh, really? Fennel? I fennel. love fennel. Yeah, fennel's it's like great. Oh, it's great. And you can yeah. have it raw in your salad or you can cook it with a bit of olive oil and salt. It's not really sensitive to heat. So it doesn't, the nutrients don't get destroyed when you cook it like your raw green leafy veg. So suddenly you start seeing foods in a different way. And people who have an emotional relationship with food and who've been calorie restricting their whole life and struggle to move away from that and have so much food anxiety, I find that this also helps. And I've seen it with my relationship with food because I now look at food when I'm preparing it and when I'm eating it in a completely different way. It's not calories in versus calories out or is this a starch or is it going, is it part of my budget? It's more about what is in this food that's actually going to optimize my health on such a deep level. Mm. Mm, I love that. And of course you've got this blog. Yes. It's fabulous. I said, I'm so glad I found you on Instagram <laughs> because you've got all these videos. Is it, is it only vegan food? Is no. It, are you a vegan? I'm are not. You? And everyone asks me because it seems to be that I'm actually only doing vegetarian That's and what vegan I recipes. I love, hang on. I, it's called, what is it called? Your Sunrise by HM. Sunrise by HM. Tell us about that. About the name Sunrise or about the blog? Well, about the, 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 the blog so, or Sunrise, whichever. So Obviously the name, nice I mean, story. the name Sunrise is just, for me, it was a, it's, it's a word that evokes emotion and you should be feeling good when you have the name sunrise and mm. it's about what steps you need to take today in order to be able to watch tomorrow's sunrise in the best state that you can be. Awesome. And that's physically and emotionally because food plays a big role in our life and so does health and, and it's quite an emotional thing for a lot of people. And this, the actual blog, what I do is I post a lot of, um, nutritional topics that people might be confused about. So I'm currently writing a blog about veganism and what to watch out for and the things that are, are good with it. So really clearing up some of the science and also posting a lot of recipes, my own yes. recipes, because for me, it, the world can be falling apart, but when I'm in the kitchen, I'm a happy person. So, <laughs> Are you? Yeah, I love it. So the videos and the, the blogs and the recipes and things that will also help my patients. I can refer them to the blog and say, well, I made this easy weekday chicken recipe. I know you've got a busy lifestyle. Go and check it out. It will be good for your kids as well. So... So that's the purpose of the blog, for mm. me to share my passion with mm. everyone. I was very excited when I came oh, across good. it. I'm glad. Very Thanks. excited when I saw the videos. <laughs> no, really, it's lovely. It's it's always nice to get good ideas. And, of course, there's this movement at the moment, and we talk about this vegan movement on Netflix, all the documentaries and the people are yeah. poo-pooing it and this thing. 
And when I once again, I mean, do we say fair? Do we say let's look at your body? Because what we haven't discussed is the quality of food that we're having, what right. we have access to. So if we are eating the protein, how much antibiotics, uh, you know, and steroids? And and when we're eating the fruit and the vegetables, what kind of insecticides? Are there the sure. minerals? You know, it's the quality of food that we're eating. Sure. So. So I do feel, I mean, there's, there's merit to, to many different foods that other people are eating. Some people do need, I mean, if vegans are, you know, if people are choosing that, that route, then they need to make sure that they're getting, like we say, the correct nutrients, that they're getting their vitamin B12, which they're only getting from animal-based products, that they're supplementing properly and that it's right for their body. If we look at the way we used to farm, and we look at, I think it's, um, you know, long ago, regenerative farming and allowing the animals to actually cultivate the grass, their mm. feces, their urine, licking the grass. So allowing the crops to grow, not letting the crops grow out, not having livestock and injecting the stock with antibiotics and medication. Then we're really getting good quality food and we're getting the food that we need for our gut microbiome. For our body. Yeah. And we're not, we're not farming this way anymore. That's unfortunately, you know, if you were to get a good piece of grass-fed organic steak, it might be healthier than your beyond beef burgers or your, you know, your, your vegan burgers alike because of all the chemicals that they're putting in that and the, and the processed soy products that they're putting in. Could, could that be worse for us chemically? Than the pure grass-fed mm, organic piece a of good steak. Question. So, one really needs to be careful with the different types of foods that they're eating. Um, and what we're finding, and, and vegan is not always best unless you're getting the best sources of vegan foods. And and animal-based protein is not always best unless, unless you're, you're getting, getting the, the best. best sources as well. I today purchased a Beyond a Burger burger. A patty. Yes. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to make it because I am a vegetarian. But it's interesting that you say because there's always going to be something to get that taste, to, to get it to taste like a real burger. And I mean, what are the chemicals and what, you know, what goes into that? Sure. And it is something certainly that we have to consider. And we also look at, um, whether, you know, in terms of sustainability for the environment as well, that's also a question and a debate. And I'm certainly not an agriculture Professor, mm. but are we equipped to deal with all the almonds that we're using for almond milk and we're not using the whole almond? Or, you know, are, are we really equipped to deal with, do we need the, re, the regenerative farming to actually allow for the soil to redevelop in the way that it should develop to stop erosion? And are we now destroying the soil by growing so many maize and soy crops? So I don't know. I mean, that's, that's also not my profession, but in terms of the debate of how we, you know, Improving the climate and the environment, I think there's still a lot to be researched. Mm, interesting direction that we're all going I in. I know. But we're <laughs> talking, we're talking nutrigenomics. Yes. Um, and you spoke about these, um, bioactive ingredients, um, how some of them can switch on or switch off genes, which is very, very interesting. So the Amiga oils you spoke about, um, and there was something else that you spoke about. You know, I'm very into mindfulness and meditation. And with mindfulness, what's so interesting is that so many of the studies that they're doing in the neuroscience that's coming out and how the brain is changing. And you know that with emotion and with food and chemicals, how that is affecting the actual cell right. um, and then affecting the genes. And so people are talking about being able to 
impact the cell, impact the brain, then impact the, the, the cells, the body, the structure, all of that through the mindfulness. So you, 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 you alluded to anxiety and depression, and you've said that that could impact the genes. Sure. Can it, can it, so, and, and we're now talking about food. What are your thoughts on it? Maybe you don't have thoughts, and maybe it's unfair of me to ask this question, but you're talking about holistic. What are your thoughts on changing the brain and then changing the body through something like mindfulness, yoga, meditation, present moment, ability to handle stress? So there's so many factors that are involved with that in terms of meditation and yoga and stress management and deep breathing. We see that it also reduces inflammation and oxidative stress in the body. And that's definitely something that we, we recommend to people in terms of mindful eating. It's a big part of, of my practice. Mindful eating. Mindful eating okay. because people connect mindfulness with our day to day life. But, but when you're eating mindfully and it sounds so simple, but we don't do it. We're eating on the run. We're eating in front of the TV. Our kids are eating in front of the TV. You, you, they're not chewing their food properly. We're not noticing the different colors, the different textures on the plate. Are we salivating more when a food is being brought to our nose and to yes. our mouth? <laughs> I'm really salivating. <laughs> Me too. Just thinking about it, I'm salivating. So by, by actually um, tapping into those neurological pathways... We're also stimulating the hypothalamus at the base of our skull, and it's it's starting to release the ghrelin and the leptin appropriately to actually control our satiety. Those are our satiety hormones mm-hmm. to tell us when we're hungry and to tell us when we've, we need to stop eating and we're full. Mm. So if you reach for a piece of chocolate, for example, and you're eating it in front of the TV, or often I give the example, you, you're eating that piece of chocolate with guilt, and you say, you know, this is going to make me gain weight and my dietitian said I shouldn't and so on and so forth. The part of the brain that you're stimulating is not the hypothalamus. It gets completely detached. And so one sure. lead, one cube leads to another cube because you haven't actually, you know, hit that point of, of satiation where you, where you don't, where you don't feel like eating it anymore, where your cravings are gone. And it's the same thing with overeating. We always tend to overeat if we're eating on the go or in front of the TV and we're not eating mindfully because there's been no connection with our gut brain axis as well to tell us that we've eaten. And we fall. So it's really important in terms of mindfulness and habit changing. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, healthy eating, it's, it's, it's a psychological warfare. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a game. It's a game thing. It's about knowing how to change your habits, how to set your goal, but set specific things that you need to do in order to create new habits. Because the more specific you are, the more likely you are to change that habit. If you're not setting a time and a place and a day where you're going to exercise and your goal is, well, I'll just exercise more, the likelihood is it's not really going to happen. Last week we had Stephen Brosen on the show and he was talking about mindfulness and he was talking about having, you know, when you have the cup of coffee or when you're eating and whatever. And so I want to expand a little bit more on that. But it is interesting with the eating we're talking about nutri um, genomics, and we're looking at the genes, and but the psychological aspect. I mean, you've just mentioned that um, when people suffer from, you know, addiction to drugs, to alcohol, to what addiction to sugar, whatever, you you eliminate. You eliminate the, the drugs. You can eliminate the alcohol. Food you have to face every single day. Yeah. And and we, pe- pe- people have used food throughout our lives to make us feel good, to reward, to punish, to all of these things. And, and, and that's where it comes in as well. So 
is mindfulness a way of addressing that? I mean, how deep do you have to go? I would say mindfulness is. I mean, it's also possible that if there's a strong connection in terms of food and psychology, one might need to unpack that, sort it out correctly and right. then repack that. Okay. Um, and also tapping into your hunger intuition, which it sounds so easy when you say it, you know, like, are you tummy hungry or is your mouth hungry? But as adults, we really don't know when we're hungry and when we're not hungry because when we're born, we have a pure hunger intuition. A baby cries when they want to eat and then they stop when they're full. But certain events throughout the lifestyles or throughout their lifetime changes that hunger intuition and with no one's ill intention. But, you know, you, it's lunchtime now. Stop playing. You have to come eat. But mommy, I'm not hungry. No, but it's lunchtime. You must come eat. Mm. Instead of making the child understand, okay, if you're not hungry now, that's okay. But your next meal is in three hours and there's no snacking and grazing in between because that ruins your appetite and one's hunger intuition if we're grazing all the time. So it's very complex. It's about really very starting complex. to wow. develop how, how hungry, you know, understanding how hungry you are, when to stop when you're full, quitting the clean plate club. Are you tummy hungry or is it your mouth that's hungry? Are you bored? Are you stressed? Are you anxious? What type of hunger is it? How do we deal with that hunger instead of turning to food? Oh, I love so, that. You yeah. So, I mean, as you were talking about, I mean, I, I, the, the kids feeding your children, I mean, I'm guilty, right? I'm thinking my children must have three meals. I've got to teach them to have three meals. So you'll sit down and you'll eat the food. And how often do our children say, but I don't like that? And we say, well, it's good for you. Eat it. And maybe on some level they realize that you talk about genes. It's not good for them, that they know it's not good for them. Or that they don't like it. Or that they don't They've like it. They've also got preferences. And Oy they want to have the preferences. Boy, the Jewish guilt. Oh, my God, how am I going to get over this one? <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll car need sessions after. We'll, we'll, we'll be back in a moment. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. I sometimes wish we could switch the microphone on during the break so you can get to hear what we, we talk about off air. It's, it's really an interesting conversation. I hope that you're enjoying it as much as I am. And incidentally, if you have any questions, um, please do, please do give us a call. Hillit will be very happy to answer any questions. The studio number is 010-140-3020 or SMS us on 34519. 34519. I'm so interested when you ask yourself the question, I'm hungry. Am I tummy hungry or mouth hungry? What does that mean? So tummy hungry would be a physiological hunger where you actually That's the sounds that are coming out of my tummy right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to wait until you, you, you know, in terms of physiology where you're shaking and you're sweating and you're actually becoming hangry. That's not the point where we want to go yeah, to okay. because, because then it's a binge. Then it's let's eat whatever's in Anything, front of us. Right. And then it spikes your blood sugar levels up. But it's just noticing that you're starting to feel hungry and it's time to eat and it's about respecting your hunger and honoring your fullness, which is very difficult, like I said, because even myself sometimes, I don't know if I'm hungry or not hungry. Maybe I'm thirsty and I'm eating when I'm thirsty or maybe I feel like I'm hungry, but I don't really know how to interpret it. And it's not physiological hunger. It's actually mouth hunger, which mm, is bored or bored, yeah. ritual. I mean, yeah. I grew up in a home where there was always a bowl of sweets in the kitchen and nuts and, and we were definitely 
after dinner snackers and taking, you know, gummy sweets to bed and that kind of stuff. Oh, delicious. And and the habit, it's a habit. Yeah. So I formed that neurological pathway and now I've brought it into my own home and my husband does the same thing because that's what we do because Um. I brought that habit into the home. Mm. It's hard to break habits as well. It is hard to break habits. Well, I I mean, I spoke about it. We spoke off air as well before we actually started the show about this running. Right. Yes. And as I said, I've never hidden the fact that I do not like running. Like I actually find myself wanting to swear as it just comes out as I'm running. <laughs> so, so I said to you before the show, it's so flipping hard. I just want to stop. Yeah. Like my brain is going, stop. It's, this is, it's hurting the stop. And you said something interesting to me. Do you remember what you said? That it is all about the brain. Yeah. You said, is it your brain or your body? It's a brain or a body. And that's the truth. And if you could have, you know, I mean, a lot of the new apps that they, they developing have these sort of things. Some people like it, some people don't. But if you could have your brain, the way you think your personality and the kind of motivational message that was tailored exactly to you, Buzz, at the times where you're about to opt out, you probably would not opt out. Mm. Because you have someone giving you the message that you need, whether it's whether you're the type of person who needs a supportive message to say it's okay that you gained a kilo this week, it's a, it's a long term health goal. Don't don't throw it out the window. Don't don't have that um, self sabotage mentality that you ate a biscuit and now you've blown it. Get back on the horse. You haven't blown anything. You know, carry on. Where some people need, you know, th- this like harsh. You can do it. Come on, get back on it kind of message. Mm. So, so you need to figure out how to talk to yourself in those, mm. those times. Mm. And also what I have to do is I, I, I heard, um, Wim Hof and also Ryan, I think it's Steenkamp. We've had him on the phone, uh, on the show before. He swims in extreme cold temperatures yes, yes. and he talks about uh, the brain telling us, stop. It's cold. Um, this is dangerous. And that's when we all, Given the right. same as me running, like this is sore, or how far we are able to push ourselves, but the, we can go a hell of a lot more further. I think he said we only go forty percent. We can go so much further. Um, it's just our brain trying to keep us safe, not wanting to take risks, um, and how that impacts everything that we do. We right. we we risk averse, you know, and that would impact what how we eating, how we sure. exercising, and the body. I mean, the brain is an amazing thing, and it's also how we've been. Brought up and our, our, you know, how our life has impacted us. It's the way we think and the way we, we are tailored to think about ourselves, our body image, the food that we eat, what we should be feeling guilty about, what we should be proud of. It's, it's, it's really all intertwined. It's mm. like one big web. Mm, absolutely fascinating. I have to ask you one thing because yes. we, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Ali Bacher just now. Celery. Someone said celery in the morning is brilliant. Juice it up. So I'm starting the, I've been doing the celery. Every time I look at this green foamy glass staring back, (laughs) I I take it and I'm like, but, (laughs) but it can't hurt, can it? I mean, I've got you on air. No, I don't think it can hurt. Whether it's as beneficial as maybe juicing other, you know, other vegetables that possibly have a higher concentration of nutrients. The celery certainly can't hurt, but okay. maybe add a bit of so maybe what, what, spinach what are your, into it. Oh, okay. Or, 
a bit of ginger for inflammation, especially for the runners who are training now. It's important. High-intensity training can increase inflammation and oxidative stress. There's no two ways about it. People who have run marathon after marathon after marathon do eventually get injured if they're not stretching before and after, doing breath work, having recovery days where they're doing weight training or yoga or Pilates course training, and also eating the correct foods. So foods that are important for bone, collagen, and joint health, antioxidant foods. It doesn't need to be a supplement. It can come from your food, your omega-3 fatty acids from your oily fish, lots of berries, lots of vegetables, all of those things that are going to help the body to repair and, and heal themselves. So you're training for the Jerusalem Marathon. I'm not going to go over a diet. What would be an ideal stuff to put into a juicer? Into a juicer? Yeah. I would probably say... I'd probably, and I'm writing this yes, down. Yes, I'd probably that. blend it and not juice it because okay. you're losing the fiber and you okay. do want some fiber for your gut health as well. All right. Um, but I would probably say some berries, which are high in antioxidants, some baby spinach, maybe some fresh ginger, a bit of turmeric, if you don't mind. Sure. The turmeric's a strong anti-inflammatory agent as well. Banana for prebiotics to, if you, especially if you're running afterwards, you want, you want to be able to have a bit of energy and some sugar from the banana as well, which is good. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to Pleasure. try that with and a little bit good. of celery jam, uh, 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 put inside as well. Fantastic. Hilich, you have been just so interesting. Thanks for having me. It's that been was so fun. lovely having you. <laughs> if people want to get hold of you, how do they do that? So they can email me at contact at hilichmilnerdietetics.com or they can send me a WhatsApp message on 083-627-4941. Okay. Again, someone's just asked a little bit more about you. They want to know your name. So it's Hilit Milner, 083-627-4941, or you can follow her blog, which is called Sunrise by HM. Sunrise by HM. I've learned so much um, from Hilit. Absolutely amazing. Are we going to take a quick break? After the break, Dr. Ali Bacher, Hilit, thank you. Thank you. Awesome having you on the show. <laughs> Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. I'm Nikki Seberini on 101.9 Chai FM. The clinical dietitian we had in the studio, the amazing Hilit Milner, really, really fascinating. We've had quite a few people asking how to get hold of her. 083-627-4941. We've been talking about diets. I spoke correct eating, really. Um, I spoke about... Oh, the fact that I'm in training for this Jerusalem Marathon, how exhausting it is. Um, and I, I'm so excited to welcome our next guest, um, Dr. Al, Dr. Ali Bacha. I mean, you know Dr. Ali Bacha. Um, he was the South African Test Cricket Captain, um, one of the, the best uh, uh, batsmen in South Africa, um, big with the United Cricket Board. And he still continues. He actually goes around the world and he interviews sportsmen. Um, and we can watch all of those incredible shows shows on um, super sport. I've, I've watched a number of them and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed them. In fact, I think he's interviewed to date 62 um, sportsmen and just brought their insights and their stories to all of us. So I bumped into him and he had just returned from Kenya, um, which really is very interesting because we know that the Kenyans are incredible, incredible runners. In fact, the runner, I think I pronounce his name, Iliud Kip. 
Kipchoch, um, or Kipchoch, um, he broke the two-hour marathon barrier not so long a, a, a ago. He achieved this incredible milestone, um, which was believed up until then to be unattainable, and he did it. And the Kenyans do it. They do it so well. Dr. Ali Bacha went to Kenya to see how they prepare for a marathon. He's going to share it with us. For, for those of you who are preparing for your Jerusalem marathon, maybe we'll get a tip or two. Um, Ali, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Um, my pleasure. Can you hear me because your reception from your side is not clear. Can you hear me all right? We can hear you perfectly. I do apologize. The phone lines are not good. Um, so all right, all right. Let me tell you very simply. Um, my first interview for Super Sport called In Conversation was in 2010. It was the, the first was the great Fashion Tendulkar, the Indian great batsman. I've now done 62 and that a month ago, I had the privilege of going to Kenya to interview two of the great runners. So you get to Nairobi, then you've got to catch a connecting flight, and you go high up in the mountain. And then the one morning, we're off, a team of five. We go to the training camp where 15 to 20 of Kenyan's great current runners are training. Hmm. And it's the most extraordinary story because... Uh, they all arrive there at this camp on a Monday morning. They leave on a Sunday morning. They were there for five days, no wives, no girlfriends, on their own. The living quarters are so simple. Each has their own small room. There's one toilet for all 20 of them. There's one bar for all 20 of them. <laughs> and there's one TV set for a lot of them. <laughs> they do their own washing. Wow. It's quite extraordinary, and that's where I interviewed Elliot. About that training camp, I can tell you if the Americans came there to train, they'd leave after three hours. <laughs> so we interviewed Elliot. He's the most remarkable story. I mean, firstly, that his father died, I think he was about four. So his mother, who was a nursery school teacher, brought up a family, and there was no money and no food. And it was tough times as he grew up. And the interesting part that at high school, he was a casual runner. He didn't even get into district trials. And then when he left school, he started to merge. And he started a career in 2002. And in 2003, he came to, to Paris and he won the 5,000 meters world championship. <laughs> Nobody had ever heard of him. <laughs> And that's when it started. But from 2002 to 2012, he only ran really the 5,000 meters. And he wasn't the best in the world. There was an Ethiopian that beat him most of the time. But then the transition took place in 2013. We started on the marathon. And from then until today, it is quite unbelievable. He's run in 12 World marathons, you know, the very best, the London marathon, uh, the Chicago marathon. He's won 11. Wow. And wow. come second once. I mean, he's unbelievable. And as we know, in 2019, he was the first person ever to break two hours for the marathon. Mm. So he is certainly the greatest marathon runner of all time. But whilst I was in Kenya, I also interviewed another remarkable Actually, this time a lady. Her name is Faith. 
He weighs 42 kilograms. He's five foot two. Sure. Uh, at the Olympics in um, Rio, he won the 1500 meters gold. The following year, the world championship, she beat her own Kasia Semenya. Then in 2018, uh, she had a baby by cesarean section. In 2019, she's back again, and she won silver at the world championship. So you can be Unreal. really assured <laughs> that at the Olympics this year, she won gold again. So I had the most extraordinary trip uh, to interview two unbelievable athletes, and it's an indication why Kenya today, you know, in Africa, is a dominant athletic country. I think that's absolutely fascinating, Ali. I, I want to ask you, I mean, so obviously a lot of physical, rigorous figure, physical training. The mental training, do they spend a lot of time on that as well? Do they spend a lot of time, sorry? On the mental aspect of the training. No, I don't think so. Really? <laughs> and, and the interesting part is that uh, Elliot, who's a superstar, he's treated exactly the same. No special treatment. Hmm. The only time there's something special you see when they arrive at the camp, all right, he's got a big fancy car. But once they get into that camp, they're all treated equally. All the same. All the same. Wow. It must have been a wonderful, wonderful experience for you, Ali. When will that um, show be on Super Oh, that'll be shown. It's, it's on Super Short. Super Short, probably the next six weeks, and then both will be shown. And the other one person that I have interviewed, which hasn't been shown at the moment, it's Billie Jean King. Oh. I interviewed her in December in Somerset West. Wow. And Alana Kloss, a partner for decades, well-known, arranged this for me, and she was fantastic. I mean, the interview was at 12 noon. She was there on the dot, looking immaculate. She's 76 now, very professional, friendly to everybody, and you know, she's had an extraordinary career. Uh, she's gone public in 1981, uh, you know, on her partner. And um, she's progressed and she's done a lot of great things outside of tennis. And she's highly regarded as really one of the greatest uh, women athletes in the history of, of uh American sport. Mm, Ali, I look forward to, I hope that um, they will be flighting that soon. So those are a whole lot of great shows in conversation with Dr. Ali Bacher. So people listening who are interested can just uh, contact Supersport or go online and have a look and see when those shows come up. They sound fascinating. Ali, thank you so much for My joining pleasure. us and thank for you. sharing it with us. What a, what a privilege, what a joy. Thank you so much, Thanks. Ali. Do take care. Thank you. Bye. Dr. Ali Bachawa. Isn't that fascinating? Going to Kenya. Everyone's the same. This training and producing these champions. Listen, I want to tell you something. On the 5th of March, it's not next week. It is the week after. I am going to be joined by Michael Rubenstein and we're going to have a show, a very, very exciting show. It's going to be raising, we're raising funds for the DL link for the Jerusalem Marathon. It's going to be called the 60 minute challenge. Our goal is to raise funds for the DL link in honor of cancer warriors and runners. 
listeners during the show, myself and Michael will be saying, come on, let's try to get 60 pledges in 60 minutes and let's see even if we can get 60,000 rand by the end of the day. There's going to be coaching happening on air. We're going to be giving away prizes. That's not next week. It's the week after. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. We'll tell you more about it. Um, but I've run out of time and I've just loved being with you. I've learned so much today. I hope you have too. For me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, do take care. Goodbye.